All right, coaches, thanks for tuning in again. Uh, always appreciate the support. Today we are joined by Minnetonka girls head coach, Leah Dasovich. We're jumping back over to the girls' side. I want to try to get some more girls' coaches here, and I've uh, and Coach Dasovich is highly regarded on the girls' side. Uh, so, Coach, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Uh, coaching Wikipedia page, always the first thing we go, uh, we go to. So talk about uh, where you're from, where you played, and then what led you to Minnetonka? I, I grew up in St. Cloud and played my high school ball at St. Cloud Apollo um, for the great Donna Mark. We had a good, good run there. Went to the state championship my junior year back when we were just two classes, A and AA, way back in the day. Uh, and then after high school, I, I stayed close to home and went to St. Cloud State University and played my college basketball there. And after St. Cloud met, that's where I met Tom. Um, we joke over a bucket of ice in the training room while he was playing football at St. Cloud State. And so we got married right out of college and ended up back down here um, as a Hopkins grad. We wanted to kind of end up in this metro area. And we're really fortunate right out of college to get teaching jobs, both of us, at, at Minnetonka. Um, John Hedstrom had a lot of faith in us as coaches and young people and gave us jobs. And so I was coaching volleyball and basketball right out of the gate there at Minnetonka. Um, basketball under Bart Inniger and was the assistant for a handful of years before we started our family. And Tom was coaching um, at Columbia Heights and then at Henry Sibley. So took a little bit of a break from um, coaching two or three years. And then when Bart decided to step down at Minnetonka, um, at that time, Tom was back coaching the boys side there. And we thought for our young family, we could maybe manipulate schedules and make it work for both of us to be head coaches. and was really fortunate to get that head coaching job without having any head experience. Um, and that was 10 years ago now. So, so uh, talk about your playing career at St. Cloud State and how things that you took from playing there at the collegiate level uh, and how that helps your, has aided your coaching today. I think uh, I unfortunately was injured quite a bit in college, um, had my first ACL injury and just some other kind of chronic uh, injuries while playing there. And, you know, it was a great experience to play at St. Cloud, but I think I learned quite a bit from my coaches uh, when I was sidelined with injuries. I got to be privy to some of their conversations and grad assistant conversations. Um, and, you know, St. Cloud then in the late 90s was still a part of the North Central, you know, the NCC, and it was a great Division II conference, um, playing NDSU and UND and, and Augustana, et cetera before they all kind of broke off and went division one. And so, you know, I got, I got to be a part of seeing really good Midwest basketball at that level um, and learn from coach Alferts and coach fish, um, you know, at that time. And so I, I knew pretty early that I wanted to be a coach. Um, when I was at St. Cloud also, I, when, when the Comets program started, I, I was able to coach a young Comets team um, back then. And, you know, that got me really interested. And once I knew I was going to be a teacher, um, the coaching just sort of, I, I never left it. I don't know that I've had a winter where I haven't been in a gym in some capacity. So uh, 2016, uh, your team wins a state championship. Uh, I know you'd made it the section finals a few years before that and then getting over the hump and then getting into the, section, the state tournament and winning the state tournament. Talk about that experience, what that was like for your family and the basketball community uh, and your team at Minnetonka. Boy, it was, it was something pretty special. Uh, you know, I, now that we've gone through that, I see that getting to that point takes, 
it takes a lot of different elements, I think, to be, you know, in that position and a little bit of luck. Um, you got to ride a winning streak into that. Uh, and you have to have a good core of kids. And, you know, it, it took years to get ready for that run and, and to be ready for, um, to get through our section, really tough section to get through with Shakopee in the end. And the years prior having to battle Hopkins um, over and over again, uh, I think got those kids mentally ready to handle whatever was coming their way. And, and in the end, we just were really riding a streak where um, those kids didn't want to lose. They just didn't want to be done. Uh, but really so good for our community, a first state title for the Minnetonka community and, and um, the energy around our youth program and, and the support that we got from everybody. It, it was a lot of fun. Um, that was a great team. Oh. I want to talk about your youth program. I mean, obviously you're a, you know, one of the largest school districts in the state. I'm sure you have a lot of girls uh, coming through your program. I know that in girls sports, you know, they're getting, there's a lot of options now with volleyball and J.O. volleyball taking up a lot of winter time and dance is a big deal um, competitively, especially down in the, in the metro area where you're at. Talk about your youth programming and how you are able to keep girls involved and interested in basketball. It's a great question. I, um, I feel really lucky to have good parent volunteers in our, in our board and our association. Um, I think that keeping things really organized and encouraging as many girls as possible to play um, is what we're trying to do, right? We want to give them an opportunity. So we start our travel, our travel ball um, at fourth grade, like most associations do. Um, and every year we have two to four teams at every grade level. Um, this last year we had four seventh grade teams. Um, and, and I think that a lot of boys associations will carry four teams per grade level. Uh, but for girls, that's, that's a lot of kids. Um, and so we don't have, and, and we don't further, we don't have a great drop off from year to year, you know, like we might have two teams at fourth grade and then grow to three teams at fifth grade and then grow to, you know, or maintain at three or grow to four even the year after. So we have a lot of buy-in from the community and it takes a lot of support, I think from parents as well. Um, and then, you know, we have really good numbers at our youth camps when we're able to run them in full swing as well. Uh, and, you know, I, it is, it's challenging. You talk about volleyball and soccer and, and playing multiple sports. And does that pull kids away in the youth ranks? I, I don't see it. I see lots of kids trying lots of different things, um, and running around from one to the next that, that drop starts to happen for me, I see it happening in ninth and 10th grade where they might try to do multiple sports in ninth grade. And then either they continue on the dual or, or three sport athlete is, is rare these days. Um, but I, I see the ones who are like, okay, I'm going to go the volleyball route. It's usually ninth or 10th grade where they start to make that, make that decision. So you have uh, large numbers, like you said, coming through your program. How do you uh, decide a roster formation, again, with a school that size? And, um, you know, you mentioned having four seventh grade traveling girls teams. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot of boys, even at the class 4A level, there's a lot of boys programs that don't probably even have, half, you know, three, three teams, you know, traveling at, at, that, at that age. And so how do you, uh, from cutting to roster formation and maybe helping girls go a different direction with their athletic careers, how does, how do you, how does your program go about that? Great question too. I, we are, my high school staff helps to run our tryouts. We have my whole staff um, helps to evaluate and then whatever paid coaches we might have in the gym um, to evaluate as well. And the, the goal is obviously to keep as many kids playing, but we also want them to be playing at a level where they feel successful. 
And so, you know, in Minnetonka, we also have a really robust rec program. And so ultimately, if we feel a kid is not travel ready or their travel has sort of passed them by, um, and the rec program is probably a better fit. And, and we want kids to, really, to, to feel comfortable on the court and, and to be confident and to find success. And if you're placed at the wrong level, um, everybody sort of is, is out of sorts when that happens. And so, you know, we, we try to be really careful about our selection of our teams. If we have four teams in a given year, we might have an A team, a B team, and then two co-equal teams um, so that they, they can be competitive at the level that they find because most tournaments will have a C tournament. And so we want kids to, to have a travel experience if they want one, but to also find success at the level that they land. When we were emailing before this, you mentioned one of your strengths was your ability to build relationships with your players. I want you to talk about that because I've always been so impressed um, if it's male or female, but just coaches on the girls' side in general, how well they're able to build relationships with their players. And I think there's a lot of you know, uh, coaching skills that a uh, coach on the boys' side can definitely take from their um, counterparts that coach the girls' team. So what are some ways that uh, you're able to build the relationships with your players? Uh one way I think is that I, um, I, I'm a teacher first. Uh, I've been in the classroom for 20 years and I think that trying to start conversations with kids about something that is not related to sport is the best way to just to, to open up and get to know them in a different way. I often start conversations, what are you doing in your English class right now? What are you reading? And, and we sort of spin that way. And, and it's interesting because even former students, former athletes, um, primarily will text and say, Das, are you reading anything good right now? I, I miss talking to you about school or I miss talking about what you're reading or what, what, you know, what, what's something good I should maybe be reading. Um, and so I, I and in the, when I'm in the classroom, it's funny in the classroom, it's sort of the opposite. I'll ask kids like how's swimming going, or I'll talk just off of what we're supposed to be maybe talking about at that time, um, in the gym or in the classroom. And, and I think that young people, more so now than before, need to have one-on-one -on -one conversations. They really do. Even in the 10 years that I've been at the head coach, I have more one-on-one -on -one conversations with kids, with my athletes than ever before, because they just need to check in. Um, for some of them, they'll go all day without really having a face-to-face -face interaction because so many things happen behind their screen. Um, and so it, I don't know that there's a magic, you know, magic ticket to building a relationship, but it's keeping in touch and asking them about things that matter to them. And then just listening to them. You have a lot of your players in your class. Uh, a handful. It depends. I teach juniors and seniors. Um, and this last year I had two and, and I think it's really interesting that, um, they always say to me, we don't, you don't ever talk basketball in the classroom. I'm like, I know I don't because I have to separate, I have to sort of have to separate the day. Um, and I want them to see me as a teacher first. And then when we're in the gym and that space together, that that's a different personality and, and a different, um, a different set of expectations, right. And our motivations are a little different in that space too. So there has to be some separation, um, in my day for both them and for me when I get them in class. So I'm sure relationships are part of it, but what are some other ways that you're able to get the most out of your girls on the court? Um, I also think, and I know a lot of coaches, really good coaches are doing this um, these days too, is so many of these kids at this level are playing basketball 12 months out of the year. And so, you know, back in the day, 
you'd get on the court in early November and you'd have to condition, you'd have to do all kinds of things to get kids ready to go for the season. And, and you just don't have to do that anymore. They come to you ready. They have never stopped really playing. And so, you know, we, we still spend our time on the court. Absolutely. To get ready, make sure we're ready for our season and for our game prep. But we spend almost as much time in the classroom doing stuff off the court to build our team chemistry, to talk about leadership. We do a book study every year as a group. Um, we might watch other videos. Obviously, we're watching film. But I think those, those community conversations that we're having in the classroom um, help to complement the stuff that we're doing on the floor. And and, and I, I guess I'd like to say that for girls especially, but I don't know because I don't have experience on the boys' side. But I think that that relationship piece and them being able to talk together, it, it only helps foster what's happening on the basketball court. Let's go a little more in-depth with the uh, um, the off-the-court type team building re- type stuff like you mentioned. I don't know about the book study. Um, you, know, you don't maybe need to go into details about what specific books or what some of the, the goals were or the objectives were from that, but just what does that look like? What, how much time out of the week does, uh, do you take for that, and what's the expectation for the players? Yeah, that's a good question too. I, every year we pick a different book based on the personnel that we have, sort of the chemistry that we have going on. If we need to spend a little bit more time talking about building a foundation, um, then we might pick a book geared that way. So uh, a couple of years ago, we read Chop Wood, Carry Water by Josh Metcalf, and it was all about the process. We were building, we had graduated a number of kids, um, and, and we needed to sort of start at, at a base and talk about falling in love with the process. And so we might um, read, not consistently, but we might say, okay, this is a good time right now to read these first four chapters that are manageable and then come together and, and have a conversation about it. So, you know, in, in any year like that, we might do once a week, okay? Or we might skip a couple weeks. If we have a long trip coming up, we might give some time on the bus to do some reading and then have conversation, you know, during the sophomore game. Um, being careful not to load too much on them with their academic schedule, obviously, as well. Uh, Last year, for example, we read The Power of a Positive Team by John Gordon, and we started it in the summer at our team camp. So we read two chapters then, two chapters preseason, two chapters mid, two at the end, and so we sort of spaced it out based on um, what we had, and we get every kid a book and and sort of work our way through it that way. it all kind of depends on what the pulse of the team is, where we're at, what we need. Sometimes we'll just copy a couple of chapters depending on, you know, what's, um, what's needed. But I think that, I think that they look forward to having a conversation about something that they feel is relevant to what they're doing in the moment that gives them some tools for off the court, um, some confidence in who they are as a, as a student, um, as a sister, as a daughter, right, et cetera, um, that it's not just about who they are as a basketball player. We talk a lot about basketball not defining you, that you're defined by a lot of other um, areas of your life. So it's fun for us as coaches to see them as students and not just as athletes. Do you facilitate the discussion or are the players leading the majority of that? Both. I, we, both. And, and this is where I love to see my assistants shine too. Um, is that they take ownership of those, those moments in the classroom. Um, usually we won't give them uh, like a study guide or questions ahead of time, but they'll come in with it read. And then 
Um, we'll put them into some small groups sometimes. We'll, we'll split them up by grades. If we have, you know, younger kiddos, we put them with some of the seniors and, and we let them lead that conversation. We might start it, but we, we try, we <laughs> tend to do a lot of the talking, right? As coaches when we're in the gym. And so we let them lead a lot of that conversation and ask questions during those conversations too. That's awesome. I really like that. Uh, that's something that, you know, I haven't done as a coach, but you know, I don't know if I throwing a book at them the first time we do that, but I know we want to do more stuff with, you know, maybe it's a video clip or if it's a speech yeah. or if it's a, an article, just having some more of those conversations. Cause you know, like you're mentioning, you know, teamwork and all those sorts of things are going to be lifelong skills that those kids are going to need, uh, you know, when they're done playing for you. Right. Yeah. So, we, and we do, we talk about that a lot is that this is not for just now, this is down the road. That's, that's, that's really good stuff. I think that's awesome. And I'm sure it's powerful for those girls. Uh, last thing before we get into the offense, defense, some of the X's and O's more on court stuff. You had the, I th probably the pleasure and the enjoyment of coaching your daughter this past year, who is an eighth grader, uh, moved up to the varsity team and had a lot of success for you. Just talk about that experience. Cause I know there's a lot of coaches who, uh, you know, coaches, usually their kids are going to want to do what their parents are interested in a lot of times and end up playing for their, their moms or dads just, but you had the opportunity to do that this past year with a younger daughter um, playing up. So just talk about that experiences and some of the rewards and challenges that came with that. Um, you know, by and large, it was a really good experience. Uh, I, I, Emma helped our team this year. Um, and, you know, I think that she did what she needed to do to be successful um, as a teammate at that level. And, and I think, you know, we, I've always sort of been around her teams as in AAU and sort of been an assistant. Um, but our first experience as a head coach, you know, we have to have some boundaries. I, I, I talked to a lot of people before this season started, Matt Nilsson, Eddie Dinah, you know, being, being one of the closest who also coached his daughter. And, you know, we had a lot of conversations about boundaries and being patient and being able to turn it on and off. Um, and so I think, you know, car rides we talked less about basketball and car rides home from practice and and when we get home um and try to keep it just in the gym or if she would come to me and ask about it but ultimately it it really is quite fun to be honest to it for years for many years i didn't get to see my kids during the winter for you know we were we're passing them off to family and to nannies and now this last winter it was really kind of fun to be with her um, and just have her be a part of this experience and me be a part of the experience alongside of her too. It's also really interesting because I think there, there were absolutely times that I forget that she's my kid. Like I'm not, I'm not just focusing on her. And in, in many ways, I don't get to enjoy her moments like a parent does. I'm responsible for all 18 kids on my JV varsity roster. And so, you know, it's, it's, it is an interesting thing where sometimes I get lost in the moment and I want to sort of celebrate for her on the side, but I, we, we have to move right on and, and pay attention to everybody. So we'll see how the next four years go. You know, that was year one and everything that sort of happened over the course of year one was like, okay, this is great. And now we have four more years, a long time. So <laughs> We'll see how it, we'll see how stay tuned. We'll see how it ends up. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm sure that's really exciting for your family. I'm sure she, you know, maybe someday she'll be like, Oh, why is my mom, my coach? But I'm sure she loves it deep down. And it'll be, as you look back down the road, it'll be a, probably some of the best times you guys got to have with each other. Uh, you mentioned the, the book study stuff. So I want to just transition from there into practices. And so you mentioned you do a lot of stuff off the court uh, related to basketball as a team, but talk about what uh, a 
normal girl, uh, skipper girls basketball practice looks like, how long you're on the court, what types of drills you're looking to do, scrimmages versus, you know, um, skill work. What, is, what does that look like? Yeah, we uh, typically we get a two-hour block of time on the court, uh, 2 to 2.15, depending on if we have strength conditioning uh, beforehand. If we are a weight day, we would start over in the weight room for half hour, 40 minutes, and then we'd come over to the court. Those days were a little shorter on the basketball court. Um, and practice typically builds from whatever the warm-up is of the day uh, to skill work. Um, if we have, if we're later in the season or deeper in the season and need to spend a little bit more time and skill, skill stuff, depending on, on how games have been going, um, passing or whatever will obviously modify, but we start the front end of practice for at least 45 to an hour in the early part of the season, skill work building. Um, and, and then we'll move into offensive work, uh, right from that skill work and end with our defensive and our scrimmage half full full controlled environment um every day there's a component of defense in practice whether it's a build-up a 2v2 3v3 4v4 lots of short-sided games um every practice will have some kind of a fast break drill whether it's a progression advantage or a three-on-three transition um and those might come in the warm-up depending on what our focus or our emphasis is um, We'll, we'll end practice with live action play almost every day. Um, earlier in the season, obviously, when we have a couple of weeks before games start, we might not quite get to that. But as we get into a routine of the season, game prep, et cetera, we're finishing practice with situations, some live action, 5v5 play. What sorts of, like, what are you looking for when you're scrimmaging five on five? Um, if it's, I mean, maybe it's you're looking on scouting report or what are some of your points of emphasis that you want to see in the fits 10, 15, 20 minutes? What are you trying to leave going? All right, we feel good on that. Yeah, I think it will depend on what we've built earlier in practice because all practice is a progression. So if we're really working one day on ball screen defense, then in our five on five, I want to see that carryover. Or if we are working on limiting turnovers, then I want to see that carry over into our five on five action. So it sort of depends on what we've, what we've built. And a lot of that, like you said, is, is predicated on what's the scouting report. Who are we playing, right? If we're playing park center the next day, we are probably working on containing the ball and, and looking at our defense, right? Um, and being able to handle a press. If we're playing Edina, who plays a lot of zone, let's just say, now that's what we're working on, right? In our five on five. So it really, adjusts based on who we're playing and how we've been playing sometimes we just got to work on us and we don't we, we can't afford to worry about what the other team's going to do to us the next night we got to figure our stuff out so it, it 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 changes and that's what I love I mean it's such a long season every practice cannot be the same for the kids and for us and and if it is I feel like we're doing a disservice to our kids because they're different in January you hope than they are in November so you have to sort of adjust that. What are some of your favorite drills uh, that you'll run throughout the season? Maybe it's uh, maybe it's a skill work drill that you really like, or if it's a, if it's a shorter, small sided game, uh, what are, what, what's some of your favorite drills that, you know, a coach could steal from you? Uh, if they're, Good. if they're listening to minute 25 of this podcast, what, what would be, what would that drill be? That's funny. Cause all of my, I feel like all of our drills we're stealing from other people. So a couple drills that I like that I'm guarantee I have not made up. I like progression advantage. I don't know what people call it, but we start in a 2v1 
always an offensive advantage. So 2v1, go down and play it out. Then you add another body and you go back down, you're playing three on two. So you have two teams, right? You got your blue team and your white team on either end. Then you come back four on three, back five on four, and you finish with a five on five. And I really like that advantage because offensively, it's a decision-making drill, right? You have to, you want your kids to be making good decisions and score when you're in the advantage and play fast and get layups. But then you get to the five on five. So you're fast, 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 fast. Then you get to your five on five and it's even. And now you need to be able to, you can still play fast or do you need to slow down and do you need to run a set? Do you need to figure out a tempo shift in this drill? And so I like that one because it gets you going, um, but it's controlled, right? Um, so that's one of my favorite transition drills to run. Another transition drill I like to run, we stole from St. Thomas, we call it Tommy Pride, but it's a 3v3 transition drill. And you can kind of leak out for the offensive push, but the defense has to transition to get a stop or you get a five point wide open layup. Um, and so it's, it's basically you're, you're taking each side, you have white team on one side and, and blue on the other, and you're defending the same basket the whole time. Um, I like short-sighted games like that. Um, because more kids get touches on the ball. Everybody has to do sort of every position. Um, and it takes quite a bit of communication and things are moving fast. Uh, those are probably my favorite too, getting up and down, right? Competitive drills. And the games, the game isn't clean either, right? There's you're rarely, are you in a walk it up five on five situation? And you know, if it's your, a long rebound, you're going the other way, three on two, but you know, you got people coming behind you and they might turn into a four on three within the, within five seconds. And the, the exactly. game is just, the game is messy like that. I think it's so important to put kids, like you said, in, in different spots, because you might have a five who you want on the block, but if they're out in front on a, after a steal, like they need to be able to run out in space and play in space. I think that's great. Uh, and I'm sure, yeah. and I'm sure you probably notice, and maybe you can speak to this. Um, the girls seem to enjoy that more than when you're doing more of your stationary type stuff. Yes, absolutely. And that, and that, that's been one of the challenges this particular summer um, with the circumstances that we're currently under is coming up with creative drills where we're not, there's not a lot of contact, but you're still maybe creating some chaos, right? You, you have to be able to get a shot off amidst chaos and, and there's always something, the game is moving too fast for you to be um, stationary and or slow. And so that's been sort of the challenge this summer is coming up with chaos. That's not a lot of contact, but um, it, it, but, and, and also organized chaos, right? Cause it's what we're trying to always replicate in practice too, um, is fast paced, uh, kind of chaotic either, whether it's shooting or it's live action play offensively talk about your offensive philosophy what your teams usually run i know you mentioned that you, you're adjusting it to add a little bit more uh inside play here um as you have some taller girls coming through uh but generally speaking what type of offense are you running and what are some of your um actions that you're looking to get out of that uh get out of your offense yeah, yeah we've, we've at minnetonka i guess over the years generally speaking we've been a motion offense program for around one or five out even right trying to teach our kids from a young age up just good spacing, just good basketball technique, right? Pass and cut, pass and screen away. How are we setting up our ball screens and that kind of stuff? I don't, there, you know, there have been years where we've run more structure, more set work based on personnel. Ideally though, 
would love for our kids, especially if we're, if we're, you know, turning out kids that are going to play at the next level, they have to at a base level, know how to play the game and move and space the floor and read each other. So, you know, there have been years, you know, like you said, in 2016, I, I had a lot of high level basketball players that were going to play division one basketball and, and they knew each other and they knew how to play a really strong motion. They just knew where they were going to be. And, and that was, that was sort of easy in some ways, right? They were, they were all very talented. And then, you know, you have years where, where, like you said, last year and this year, we have a strong inside presence. So we play more of a three out, two in, where our bigs occupy the blocks in the slot and our guards are working screen away action, flare action on the other side, um, skip pass attack. It, it sort of depends, but we want our bigs to stay in the slot and on the block. We want our guards occupy high and wide or down in that corner. Um, we look to get a lot of inside out action where we get a touch inside, look out opposite or speed cut off that post. Um, we give our, our fours and fives freedom to shoot the trail three as they're coming up the floor. Um, and then now and then we'll start ball screen action at the top of the key too. Um, the league we play in, there are some incredibly gifted defensive teams. And so we have to have a lot of counter action to what we originally are practicing. So if we're running screen and roll, great. But then you run into Hopkins, who's going to blow up that screen. How are we countering it? Um, and we do a lot of that action with go, we ghost screen, we screen and screen and slip just to give different reads um, to our kids. But that's what, that's what we're doing last year and probably looking at this next year too. So what reads are, what are you teaching with? We'll start with the ball handler. What are they reading in your, uh, in your ball screen offense? How often are they, do you want them to reject the screen versus use it? Uh, so we'll start with the point guard or the ball handler. What are some of the basic reads that you're teaching them? Maybe not day one, just cause like you mentioned, your girls are, um, you know, playing basketball year round and they've definitely been taught how to use a ball screen before they come to you. Um, but what are some of the things that you're looking for them, you know, early in the season, what are their reads? Yep. First, we're looking at the two people that are, that are a part of the ball screen. So the other three, we sort of have to leave out of the equation right now. So if, if, if you're the primary point and you're coming up on that ball screen, you got to read both your defender's hips. Are they turning you into the ball screen or are they going to let you reject it? And second, what is that probably at the post, that post defender doing? Are they staying low on it or they're getting themselves set up to hedge over the top? And then you have decisions to make, right? If, if, if your post doesn't close that screen, can you split it based on what your defender's hips are looking like? Should you reject it? Or do you keep your head up, skate at one dribble, and hit your post on a slip if they're trying if they're trying hard to hedge. Now, if you're a small guard, you got to think about what your your capabilities are. Are you going to be able to go up over the top? Do you have to split it and look down low? So it, it has to start with those two defenders, right? And I we don't talk about rejecting screens like the first time we're running it in the game. Like let's let's run the whole play. Let's run off the screen. See how they defend it. Let's watch for a little bit and then. A couple. If we're we're not running ball screens the whole game, but if we run it a few more times, now we're now you can reject it. Time three, four, or whatever. Um, and obviously we want we want to take that screen and get downhill and get to the basket. Harder and harder to do that these days. Defense is better. Um, kids are making better better reads. Um, 
And so then I think after you get past that first layer, the second layer now, your shooter's in the corner. More defenses now are staying home on that shooter, and that help is not coming from the strong side. It's coming from the weak side. And so that's your next read, right? That's your next layer. Are you kicking it to the shooter in the corner if that person's coming out? Shooters have just gotten so good now that you got to stay home in the corner. More and more coaches are teaching stay home. So we are teaching stay home on defense on the strong side. And then what's your help give you? Does it give you a drop pass to your four? Does it give you a kickback if you do a pick and pop? Um, it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough read for a point guard. There's a lot going on. Um, and, and it's something that we work on over and over and over again because it just it's happening fast. A lot of decision-making. I think you, that just shows the nature of how the game has evolved. Or I think, you know, even 10, 12, 15 years ago, the point guard was so much more someone who was supposed to get your team into, your, into their offense and sometimes maybe be your best, best defender, right? But now with the point guard has so much more on their plate from being able to score off the pick and roll or get into the pain and break their guy, guy or girl down off of, um, off of penetration or, you know, being able to read three or four different defenders and pick and roll. So how have you... Uh, and I want to take, I want to take that a step further with, and talk about the five position. How have you noticed in your 10 years of coaching uh, at the varsity level, um, how the five has evolved, uh, in today's game, uh, on the girls side. Uh, tremendously different than even 20 plus years ago when I was playing in college, you know, as a six, three woman, there were not a lot of people bigger than I was when I was in college. And now you, you can traditionally see big kids, really big kids, six, four, six, five, not common necessarily, but they're there. So that was real big. And everybody then back in the day, you played a very traditional five back to the basket post, right? I was not, I did not handle the ball very well or very much or step away from the basket and shoot very much when I was playing. Now, I, it, now it seems to me that not very many girls want to play that five spot. It's not glamorous to play with your back to the basket. Um, and so it, it's rare. And I, and the game has evolved to a point where you have to, I, I would almost argue that you have to be able to step away from the basket a little bit, even if you are a six, four or a six, five big to hit that short corner shot, pull the defense away. And so I don't want to necessarily force kids into that. We, we do all three of my bigs that are in my rotation right now and my younger kids, you got to have back to the basket skills, but we don't just work that stuff. Like you have, like I said, we expect those kids to be able to hit the trail three or to pull away from the basket or a reverse pivot face up and take a defender off the dribble. I, I think that it, it has changed and evolved quite a bit. And there are many, many teams that don't play a five or a post, a true post at all, you know, and your matchups are, you're, you're playing a one, two, a couple of threes, and maybe a four, a stretch four. Um, and so it, it has evolved quite a bit and the game has, it's fast. It, it's moving. There's just not a lot of time for walk. Like you said, walking the ball up the floor. Last thing offensively, how do you balance? Uh, I know you mentioned you don't like to run a ton of sets you have with some teams in the past, but uh, in, a, in a normal year, maybe you're not, maybe not your best team, maybe not your worst team. How are you balancing sets versus just letting them run your motion concepts? Yeah, I would say that, and again, it, it always varies, but in a normal year, we might 20% of the game, I might call something out and it's, it's going to be out of dead ball situations, out of a timeout. If we've gone a, a stretch without getting a bucket, we've gone three, four, gosh, five empty possessions in a row, then we're going to call a set 
if, if, if the, sometimes the game will just flow and they'll be doing really well in their motion and making the reads that they're going to make. And so, you know, most of the time I want them just to go and play free. And we've prepared all this ahead of time, right? We might say first, first set out of the jump is going to be this first baseline out of bounds play is going to be this. Um, first time they score, we're going to run this defense just to keep their, their minds moving at the beginning of a game. But after that, I do not want to be standing, and I've had seasons like this. I do not want to stand over at the sideline and every time have my point guard have to stop and look at me while I'm calling something out. Um, again, especially as, you know, I have a point guard now who's going to play college basketball down the road. I want her to be able to see what's going on on the floor, see the flow, and, and call something on her own if she wants to or just initiate our, our fast break and get into our, our, our motion. So I would, I guess, I guess I would probably say 20%. I might call something. I don't know. That might even be high. Let's switch to the defensive side of the defensive end of the floor, defense, um, uh, your defensive philosophy. So what do your, what are your team? I know you mentioned you're mostly man. Uh, yep. What are your defensive principles? Are you aggressive? Are you pack line? What are you looking to do in the defensive end? We've gone back and forth. We've had a couple seasons where we've tried to play some pack line, but we, we are not overly aggressive, but up the line, ball pressure, strong help side. We push sideline and baseline, and, and we try to keep the ball out of the middle of the floor. Like that's our primary goal. Now, every year it sort of depends, again, on your personnel. How are you defensively? Um, you know, we, talked, we, we play three-quarter in the post, not fully around the front, three-quarter, and then – jump behind if you feel like you're beat um, and try to just be really disciplined. And I think that sort of has been, has been our style. If I have a more athletic group or we're a little bit faster afoot, we can get up the line a little bit more. We can put a little bit more aggressive pressure on, we can peel off and trap, but typically we have been smart, disciplined, grinded out on defense, be physical. And the goal being one and done to try not to give up straight line drives, try not to give up offensive rebounds one and done and keep it a low scoring contest for the other team. We have, we have more success, you know, against certain teams than others um, just because of the personnel and the makeup of what we have, but traditionally have not pressed a whole lot. Um, occasionally maybe a three quarter court press that might fall back into a zone. But I would, I would say we play mostly eight, like I would say 80% man to man, maybe more. When and why do you switch to a zone? And then what zone do you use? So two part question there, when and why yeah. do you go zone? And then what zone do you prefer? Yeah. If we, if we're big and I can put a big lineup on the floor um, and we're playing a team that doesn't have lights out shooters, uh, we'll go to a two, three zone and be long on the bottom. Um, and, and, you know, just to change up tempo more than anything, I will go to a zone to change the pace of the game. Even if our man-to-man is going really well, maybe out of a timeout um, or just switch it up out of a free throw just to change tempo, change speed, maybe for a couple of possessions and then go back to our man. There are So I like a, two, a traditional 2-3. There have been some years we've done a 1-2-2. A two, two, little easier to beat a 1-2-2 two, because two, um, that middle just ends up being so wide open sometimes. Um, and again, off, I think off the offensive skill of kids today has just gotten so good that they're, they're able to make better reads and they're better prepared for zones. So a two, three can be really effective though, if you have the right personnel and you take up a lot of space. Um, 
And so I, I, I like that a little bit out of timeouts and to change up, change up pace. And, and sometimes we'll extend it, you know, up to half court, try to get some traps, but also it, it, it's pretty traditional just to change up what the other team is seeing. Rary once in a while, we'll start a game in a zone. If, if I feel like our matchups are just really weird, if we're playing a team that's lightning quick, um, they're, they don't shoot very well, but they can get to the rim really well. We might try to start in a zone just to give us um, a better start. Are your principles in zone the same as in wanting four sideline and uh, keep the ball in the middle? Yeah, it, well, actually, I'd actually rather force middle in the zone because that's where your help is and the other way around for man. So we do have to talk about how, how we're positioning ourselves and what we're taking away and what we're giving in the zone. Youth programming wise, do you have your and kind of bouncing back to what we talked about earlier? Because you know, I love the stuff you talk about offensively. I know we're pretty similar with how we play. And so I'm wondering if you allow your volunteer, your parent, or whatever your coach is at the youth level to run their own stuff, are you pretty um, you know, t- strong on wanting them to run something similar to what you're running at the ninth or twelve level? It's a little bit of both, it really. Um we at Minnetonka, our seventh and our eighth grade teams are not parents coaches. They're paid coaches and they're coaches from my staff. So my assistants coach those seventh and eighth grade teams when it, when it works out. Um, and so then they run what they, they help to bridge, especially eighth grade. So my eighth grade, a coach is um, my varsity assistant. And so he, we talk a lot about what should we be doing with these particular kids, right? And so they run a lot of what we're trying to run to help with that language and that transition and bridge. Fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, we talk about, like we like to play, teach them how to play man-to-man. Please don't stand in a zone in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. So, you know, we can help control, not control, but, you know, encourage that. Um, offensively, we, they, we let them obviously have some freedom to run teach, teach their kids some structure. If they want to run some screen down screen, cross screen, kind of simple action. But, um, I, I like for them to also run some four around or five out pass and cut and just learn those concepts. So we do a, a couple of clinics at the beginning of our youth season, um, and, and help. And if any of those parent volunteer coaches have questions, we will run into their practices and we have a couple of, um, kind of coaching facilitators that help do that as well. So it sort of depends on the grade. I want to give them obviously some freedom and autonomy to do what they think is best um, for those young kids. But as they get older, we want to, we want to try to bridge their experience so that when they get to the high school, it's a little bit easier. Last question. You live in a coaching household with your husband, obviously was, uh, has had a few different stops, had a lot of success as a uh, boys head coach. You mentioned coaching together at the same time when he was the boys coach at Minnetonka, you were the girls coach. So what is that like? Is he second guessing you a lot when he's able to make your games? Does he watch a lot of your film? Uh, what is kind of just describe what that environment is like with him now not coaching and you, uh, being the one on the sidelines? You know, it's good. People ask, people ask Tom all the time, do you miss it? And I think he does, but I think this gives him really quite a good fix. You know, I think he loves watching Emma play. He likes to watch my teams and, and we talk about it constantly. He, right. He'll, he'll, he challenges me. Uh, why didn't you take a timeout? You're sitting so-and-so too long on the bench, you know, some stuff like that. Um, but by and large, he's, he's just such a great support and champion. And I think, you know, when 
and he's so knowledgeable, right? I have, I have to remind myself that he is often the first person I go to when I say like, I'm really struggling with this. Do you have a good sideline out of bounds? Or do you have a baseline that, that I could use or we could use? And, and he knows, he watches enough. He's like, your personnel, this is good. Um, but I also, I think that one of the best parts about him being a former coach is that he's a different voice for Emma now when she comes home. So she and I, this is like going back to the beginning of our conversation. She and I don't have to have these conversations. We don't because she can maybe ask him or he can talk to her about it in a different way than I do. Um, and, you know, people probably think that it's just basketball all the time. That it's the only thing that we talk about or do. And, and that's definitely not the case either. Um, it, it just, it's helpful. It's nice uh, that she's sort of grown up, that the girls are growing up around basketball talk. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think maybe, maybe someday Tom goes back to it. Maybe he just continues to be my behind the scenes and, <laughs> you know, scouting report help and all that stuff. But, but we'll see. I don't know. I wouldn't count him out quite yet. Coach, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day uh, to hop on here and uh, talk basketball. A lot of really good information. Uh, a lot of stuff that I know I'll go back and talk with my, my coaches on because uh, you definitely know what you're doing. I've had a lot of success to back it up. So I appreciate you taking your time. And uh, um, thanks again for coming on today. Thank you so much for the invite. My pleasure. All right. Stay safe and have a good rest of your uh, summer workout period. Thanks so much. You too.